This is the Ultra Running History Podcast, and I'm your host, Davy Crockett. Where is everyone? Did I give out the wrong time? Oh good, here they come. It must have been the traffic. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ultra Running History Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 7. In this episode, I'll share the story of an amazing 500-mile 8-day relay race held in Canada in 1930. It included many of the top ultra runners in America at that time. The story of this race has never been told before. As the Great Depression began raging across the world, race events for professional ultra runners pretty much dried up in the United States. In fact, all professional sports suffered in America during that time. For a few years, promoters in Canada filled the void and were able to attract some of the most talented American ultra runners to head north to run in their races. Why Canada? In mid-1930, Quebec had not yet been hit as hard by the Depression. Sponsors and spectators were still interested in putting their hard-earned money into long-distance running events. One such race was the 1930 Peter Dawson Relay held in the province of Quebec. This was one of those forgotten races that deserves a place in the history of ultra-running. It included many of the greatest American ultra-runners of that time. The race participants were an interesting breed. They had a passion for endurance running and enjoyed the attention it gave them. Most of the American entrants to the relay had run together for weeks in the 1928 or 1929 race across America in C.C. Pyle's Bunyan Derbies, and they knew each other well. The 1930 Peter Dawson Relay was organized by sports promoter Armand Vincent. He was well known as a boxing promoter in Quebec. This relay involved two teams of two runners each using a similar relay format that was popular at the time for six-day bicycle races. The distance for this race was planned for about 500 miles in daily stages for eight days. The top runners would average running the entire distance at nearly six-minute mile pace. Rules for each stage would determine how often the runners were allowed to switch with their teammates. The race was set for July 1930 by the sponsors Samuel and Alan Bronfman of the Distillers Corporation of Montreal. Yes, it was sponsored by a liquor company during the period of prohibition in America. These two businessmen had successfully put on the Green Stripe International Swimming Marathon in 1929 and the 1930 Green Stripe 200-mile six-stage snowshoe race from Quebec City to Montreal. The sponsors named this running event Peter Dawson after a popular brand of whiskey. They had made a fortune exporting alcohol to the United States during the Prohibition years, which wasn't against the law to do in Canada. The start was sent for Montreal, and the course was to be run on mostly dirt roads, making a giant circle within the Quebec province. For the last stage, a marathon, 26.2 miles, was planned to be held inside the large baseball stadium at Montreal. It is important to put this and other ultra-distance races of the time in their proper historical perspective, these runners were not running six-minute miles on nice, smooth, paved roads. 
They were running on rutted dirt roads that went over hills and became muddy. Several of these runners had already run up and over mountains running across America twice. Many had recently run against horses for hundreds of miles and beat them. Think about the inaccurate claim that was told in recent decades that trail ultra-running was invented in the mid-1970s running against horses. The sport was not invented then. These 1930s runners had already run races that involved hundreds of miles of dirt roads and were ready to do it again in Canada with great speed and endurance. For about four months, Vincent recruited runners across the world to sign up and compete for a total of $10,000 of prize money. First place would be awarded $3,000, valued at more than $45,000 in today's dollars. Professional American ultra runners did come. One explained, quote, Anything marked pro in the U.S. doesn't get much attention from spectators for what reason I can't understand. But in Canada, team endurance races were quite the rage in 1930, having runners pitted against horses, roller skaters, and doing all sorts of stunts. They knew that the Peter Dawson Relay would be a successful event. Twenty teams, 40 runners, would tow the start line. According to the prognosticators in Montreal, the pre-race favorite team was the American team of Joey Ray and Johnny Salo. Next favorite was Edouard Fabre of Canada and Ali Wantanen of Finland. And third was Arthur Newton and Peter Gabuzi of the UK. Let me share the running background of these six talented ultra runners as of 1930. In the article on ultrarunninghistory.com, you can read about all 14 Americans in the race. Joey Ray, age 36, of Chicago, Illinois, was a taxicab driver. He was called, quote, one of the world's running marbles, and at that time regarded as one of the greatest runners of all time. For years, he was the greatest miler in America and set world records. He ran at the 1920, 24, and 28 Olympics. His partner was Johnny Salo. He was 37, was born in Finland, and was from New Jersey. He was a policeman. He placed second in the 1928 Bunyan Derby, the race across America, and won it all in the 1929 race. He was the greatest transcontinental runner of the time. He also held the world's six-day relay record. Teamed up with Sammy Richmond in 1928, they ran 750 miles in six days in Los Angeles. Ray and Sallow had past experience as teammates teaming together and winning a 1929 six-day relay race at Philadelphia against horses and other runners, reaching 526 miles. Edouard Fabre, age 44, of Quebec, Canada, was referred to as the grand old man of marathon running and the greatest Canadian long-distance runner who ever pulled on a shoe. <laughs> During the previous winter, Fabre won the green-striped 200-mile snowshoe race from Quebec to Montreal, leading from start to finish. It made him a national hero. By 1930, he had raced in 20 ultras and established many records. He was Canada's favorite in this race. Ollie Wantanen of Finland from New York was his teammate. He was a great long-distance runner who was 5'2", only about 92 pounds, and called Mighty Might. He ran in the 1928 Bunyan Derby and dropped out in Indiana after 41 days. He also ran in the 1929 Derby, but again, he didn't finish. Communication would be a challenge for this team. 
Fabre spoke mostly French, and Wantanen spoke only Finnish. During the race, they would use an interpreter. Next, Arthur Newton, age 45, of Southampton, England, and also of South Africa, was referred to as the Wonder Man of Running. He had only been running competitively for eight years, but had impressive ultra wins at both the Camarades Marathon in South Africa and London to Brighton, holding course records at both. In 1928, he ran 100 miles in 14 hours, 22 minutes. He ran the 1928 Bunyan Derby and held a big lead that had to pull out because of injury. He ran it again in 1929 but was hit by a car in Indiana and was badly injured. Peter Gavuzzi, age 25, of Southampton, England, was a ship steward. He also ran in the 1928 Bunyan Derby. He led after 2,800 miles but had to drop out because of severe teeth problems. He ran in the 1929 Bunyan Derby, competing with Johnny Salo most of the way. Newton and Gavuzzi had previously teamed together in the 1929 six-day man-versus-horse relay in Philadelphia and placed second ahead of the horses with 521 miles. They had lost to Joey Ray and Johnny Salo, so clearly they wanted to beat them this time. The big day for the race was July 20, 1930, at a park in Montreal. Dressing tents were set up for the runners to get ready. A band played for thousands of spectators that lined both sides of the starting area. Each team had a crew car drive along, and there was a bus for news reporters, trucks for movie production teams, cars for officials, and an ambulance. Both Canada and the U.S. covered the race in great detail in the news. The sponsor fired the starting gun as all the runners paraded away, running through the city, lined with thousands of spectators. They all stayed together for the first 3.5 miles until they crossed the bridge leaving Montreal. Once over the bridge, the real race was on for 55 miles to the city of Granby. Within about a mile, a Canadian runner became injured and already dropped out. His partner had to run the rest of the stage by himself, but then would team up with another runner for day two, who also lost a teammate. Americans Joey Ray and Johnny Solo won the first 55-mile stage in 5 hours and 22 minutes, just a little more than a minute ahead of Newton and Gavuzzi. Stage two, the next day, was also 55 miles. The race officials announced that the relay switching rules had been changed. Runners on a relay leg could not switch until the first runner had covered at least five miles. The route for the stage went over, quote, torturous hilly country. Rain fell heavily and made the dirt roads very nasty from mud for the first half of the route. But later the weather improved and the running became easier. At about mile 12, Newton took the lead and Gavuzzi increased it during his next relay leg. At the stage finish in the city of Sherbrooke, Newton and Gavuzzi were the winners in 5 hours 15 minutes and took the overall lead by 15 minutes. Four Canadian runners decided to drop out after that tough stage. The third 62-mile stage was even tougher, described as, quote, The country is of a rugged nature and the toiling runners will be called on to plod up many steep hills. Four teams took more than 11 hours to arrive at Victoriaville. Newton and Gavuzzi again showed their dominance, covering the distance in 7 hours and 30 minutes, extending their overall lead to 30 minutes over Americans Joey Ray and Johnny Solo. 
After running a total of more than 170 miles, the effects were seen as six more runners dropped out, including two Americans. Fourteen teams were still in it and would continue to the end of the race. On the fourth stage, the teams were faced with the longest segment of the race, 82 miles. For this stage, the runners could not switch until they had covered at least 10 miles. At the end of the long day, Newton ran over Quebec Bridge into Quebec City for the stage victory again. They had an overall lead of 1 hour and 33 minutes. On day 5, Newton and Gavuzzi again took control for the fourth consecutive stage win. The podium standings stayed the same. First, Newton and Gavuzzi. Second, Ray Salo, 1 hour and 47 minutes back. Third, Fabre and Wantinen, 2 hours, 12 minutes back. The newspaper reporters were predicting that first place was in the bag, but the race for second was still up for grabs. Stage 6 featured a fast sprint stage of 29 miles where the first six teams finished within five minutes of each other. After stage 7, the Ray Solo team and the Fabre Wantanen teams were only separated by four minutes for second place. American Joey Solo was enjoying the race, especially drinking all the beer he wanted. Remember, in America, prohibition was still in place. Solo commented, quote, I like the way people come up alongside in their cars to chat as we're running along the roads. It's interesting to watch the license numbers, too. There were cars from all over the United States following the race. The runners were brought to Montreal Baseball Stadium for the final stage to run a marathon in quarter-mile laps in front of 18,000 cheering people. Newton and Gavuzzi had more than a two-hour lead, so there was no doubt that they would win. The Montreal newspaper set the stage, quote, Prodding steadily along the quarter-mile circuit, the runners changed every mile and at every burst of speed from a competitor trying to pass one another, There was a roar from the crowd that equaled any that has ever marked a home run at the ballpark. The crowd clearly favored their hometown man, Fabre, hoping that he could make up the four minutes he was behind in the overall standings to claim second place. He was, quote, the magnet for all eyes, and every time he made a move to increase his position, it was the occasion for spontaneous cheering from the closely packed gathering. Newton, bronzed and toughened, dressed in long white shorts and white sweater, and Gavuzzi, sweat dripping from his short mustache, his legs moving like clockwork, soon took the lead, and after the first mile they were never challenged. They completed the marathon in 2 hours 18 minutes. Americans Ray and Salo hung on to the overall second place by just 2 minutes. They had completed the eight-day run, which was approximately 450 miles, in just over 48 hours moving time. During the running of the two-mile sandbag race, a bench collapsed under the weight of a row of people standing on it and started a panic that stopped the sandbag race for more than a half hour. People were thrown against one another in front of them, and those in front were in turn sent crashing against those below them. Many tried to leave their seats and panic set in. It spread like wildfire. People rushed for the exits. Some yelled, fire, and others screamed, the stands collapsed. Hundreds ran onto the field. Seven people were injured with bad bruises, and there were two cases of broken bones. 
Police and ushers finally brought some order, but it took about 20 minutes. That evening at the Palace Theater, the prizes were awarded and the running heroes were cheered. The next day, the podium winners were the guests at a lunch with the sports writers of Montreal at the Mount Royal Hotel put on by the race's sponsors. More than 50 guests listened to the stories from the runners. It was also announced there that in just 10 days, a 26-hour race would be held at the baseball stadium involving some of the race competitors. Clearly, the sponsor wanted to generate more spectator money. The 26-hour race consisted of six two-man relay teams against six two-jockey teams on thoroughbred racehorses. Organizers brought in large floodlights for the night hours and put down a layer of bark for the horse track. In the end, the team of Australian legend Reggie McNamara and the Finn Ollie Wantanen won with 225 miles, which was thought to be a 26-hour relay world record. They beat the closest horse by nine miles. Eventually, the runners returned to their homelands. The Peter Dawson relay turned out to be a huge success for runners, sponsors, the spectators, and the sport that one day would be called ultra running. Many of the runners returned to Canada in 1931 to run the second edition of the Peter Dawson Relay, where Newton and Gabuzzi successfully defended their title. Arthur Newton went on to set the 24-hour world record in 1931 of 152 miles. Peter Gabuzzi went on to set the record in a 1,000-mile race in England. Joey Ray was inducted into the U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame. Sadly, Johnny Salo died in 1931 when he was hit on the head by a baseball while managing a crowd at a baseball game. Edouard Fabre was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.